You are listening to Asian Skycast, the show that brings you the most updated aviation industry insight. Welcome to Asian Skycast. This is Jeff Lowe, Managing Director of Asian Sky Group, here again with Alud Davies from Corporate Jet Investor. Alud, you'll be glad to know that uh, we made the top 10. I think we've done 30, 35, 30 some odd podcasts. And just before we got online, I asked, uh, I asked uh, our marketing research team, so how did, we, how did we do the last time? So we're actually number six, okay? So that's why you're back. That's why you're back. There, there seems to be an audience out there for us. So, <laughs> so on, to, on to round two, and round two being that uh, we're going to talk about uh, Southeast Asia, uh, in particular about the country profiles. Again, just to refresh maybe a first-time listener, uh, we put out a business jet fleet report every year. Uh, the report itself tends to deal with the Asia Pacific region in whole, as a whole, but then there are available from Asian Sky Group on our website, there are individual country profiles. So today we're going to talk about Southeast Asia, which includes Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines, Indonesia, and Thailand. It, as a little bit of an intro to that, uh, Southeast Asia was uh, very much a, a contributor to the growth or to the numbers, the fleet numbers in 2019. 10 aircraft were, were added to the region for a 4% growth. Other areas of the uh, Asia Pacific region were, were not so lucky, and some uh, obviously being in the negative, particularly uh, greater China, mainland China. So it is a significant region, and that's uh, hopefully uh, that'll be some of the things we talk about today, how, how each individual country contributed. As I said, growth in 2019, there was equally growth in 2018. So the region is, is important. And as I said, is, is very much part of the growth for the Asia Pacific region. So with that, uh, my idea is to kind of take this, uh, starting with the biggest market and working down to the smallest, which means starting with Malaysia and then working down to Thailand. But at the same time, Alud, if you have any, any any opening observations or comments that you want to make about Southeast Asia? Absolutely. So I think you're, you're right, perfectly right with what you said. I think Southeast Asia has uh, certainly for the last few years been the main driver of growth um, for the whole of Asia. Um, so we're talking about five different countries today. One country we didn't cover is Vietnam. Um, that was coming from a very small base in the last few years. Um, but I think last year they, they added quite a, quite a decent amount of aircraft, didn't they? Yes. I Definitely a region up and coming, should be on everyone's radar. Uh, and as you say, I think, yeah, yes, uh, added a number of airplanes in 2019 as well. Yes. I, as I said, all the regions we're looking at uh, were contributors except for Thailand. And I guess when we get down to talking about Thailand, and it's the smallest one of the five we have today, we can talk more about maybe the reasons for that. Uh, but certainly Indonesia, Philippines, Singapore, Malaysia, all contributing positive growth in 2019. As I said, yeah, we'll start with the largest group. We'll start with the largest, largest country, which is Malaysia, uh, with a fleet of uh, 63 airplanes. And as I said, work down to the smallest, which is Thailand with just 35. So, so with a little further ado, uh, Malaysia then. Absolutely. So, um, like you say, um, now has a fleet of 63 aircraft. Uh, had a net addition of two aircraft. Uh, during 2019 for a 3.3% uh, increase. Uh, that net increase included two new deliveries, uh, including one of the first global 7500s to be in the region. Yes, yes sort of a, a key first for the region, certainly for Bombardier. 
the first 7500 in Asia. And it's really, Malaysia is really a large and long cabin, uh, long range cabin uh, market, much, much the same as uh, other parts of um, other parts of Asia, although we'll, we'll come on to sort of the smaller markets uh, very soon and cover why they specifically are more geared towards smaller aircraft. Yeah, as I was going through uh, the five countries we're going to look at uh, today, it was kind of when we get to the Philippines, they, they kind of march to a different drummer. And it's an interesting country to talk about, and we'll, we'll we'll get into that analysis when it comes. But as you said, Malaysia very much a large, large long, uh, sorry, large cabin long range market, uh, and and dominated uh, very much by by Bombardier. Yeah, Bombardier has been very strong, um, actually all across um, Southeast Asia, actually for the for the last few years, definitely. I would agree with that a hundred percent. Comment that I often make uh, when you look at the Asia Pacific region is that. You know, Gulfstream is is certainly the market leader, but it, it's really dependent on the China market, the greater China market. Whereas Bombardier has done a much much better job at diversi- diversifying their fleets throughout the region, and we'll we'll see that today when we talk about Malaysia and we talk about Singapore and some of the other countries, they have a much much bigger presence and are not so reliant on that China factor uh, as much as as Gulfstream, for instance. Absolutely, but that, that's that's partly, of course, because there are smaller aircraft in the Bombardier family, the the, the, the Learjet aircraft, of course, uh, of which there are, there are quite a reasonable number operating in Malaysia as well. Yep, yep. And so when we look at Malaysia, and as you said, the large cabin segment, uh, you're seeing Global 5000s and a good representation from the Challenger family, 600, 601s, 605s, operators in the region, biggest one is the government, right? Absolutely, yeah. Although that that fleet is effectively split into three sub fleets, uh, so operated by the um, the Sultan of Johor, right on the Singapore border. Uh, quite a few large cabin aircraft there: Gulfstream G650, something BBJ2 as well. Um, and then the flight calibration um, department, based at Subang, flies a couple of Learjets. I think the Learjet 60s off the top of my head, um, and then the Air Force itself, which has a couple of ACJs. Okay. One of the other interesting elements that I think we can talk about when we talk about the first two countries, Malaysia and Singapore, I think we do have kind of a, a competition, if you will, between Subang and Salita, uh, both trying to develop themselves into uh, business aviation hubs. And, and so that is kind of a, a bit of a battle going on in the background. Actually, I was going to ask you about that. So in our previous conversation, we um, or previous chat, we had a bit of a conversation about Macau being a uh, becoming a regional business aviation hub, and you were, let's just say, less than impressed with the idea. Um, what do you think about this whole idea of Subang? Or in a good case in point, if you look at you know the development that's going on in in a, in a Subang or going in a Salita, uh, you're not you're you're not going to see anything like that in a Macau. Uh, you know, Macau is an is an FBO, and, and that's probably all it will ever be. Primarily because they're so constrained as far as land and, and available space. Whereas in Subang and Salida, there's there's plenty of room to grow. And both of those facilities now having substantial footprints already with the OEMs on the business aviation side. So I just can't see that happening to to Macau. But for me, it's an interesting interesting to watch the development of the two regions in Subang and, and Salida and see how that all plays out over time. So both are trying to establish themselves as, as big hubs with FBOs and MROs uh, and to see how that, like I said, see how that all plays out over time. 
So I, I, well, I was in Malaysia quite a lot um, last year for, for one reason or another uh, and spent some time at Sky Park, the FBO in um, Subang, and they sort of drove me around and showed me where all of this redevelopment um, is going to be done. Um, and if it all comes together well, it's going to be a very impressive facility down there. I guess part of it would be if it all comes together well. <laughs> Very true. Although I, I think the government are quite heavily pushing for it as well, aren't uh, they? I was going to say my my understanding is, uh, like I said, it's it's being uh, certainly well supported and promoted by by the government. I think, as you said in your in the in the profile that you wrote, I mean, the Malaysian government is very supportive of business aviation, and so the development of Subang is is high on their agenda, and it's something that we will see happen. Let's shift over to the, the guys across the the straits. Then uh, Singapore. I mean. Again, it's a long-range aircraft, uh, long-range cabin uh, market. Uh, net addition of one aircraft during the year, uh, taking the fleet up to 59 aircraft with a 1.7% increase. Um, so if you look back over Singapore over the, last, the course of the last couple of years, you can, you can see that it's sort of yo-yoed a little bit and sort of dropping five, six aircraft and then sort of gradually adding them back in again. Um, but of course, that's really the effect of um, Zetajet going out of business years ago. Um, and then eventually at least half on that historical back. fleet growth chart i have this big downward arrow and next to it zeta jet uh and that's what impacted the fleet severely in 2017. of course some of those aircraft have come back in with um with o jets now o jets yep yep exactly exactly but again another big bombardier market i said well bombardier have got their service center in singapore haven't they yeah yep Gets back to, again, the discussion we just started to have regarding uh, Salida and Subang. A lot of the OEMs investing a lot of a lot of capital in the region, and certainly Salida has been uh, a beneficiary of that. Uh, you've got Jet, you've got Bombardier, Cessna, uh, SIA Aerospace, ST Aerospace, all set up in Salida. But there are some, I guess, worrying clouds on the on, in the distance regarding accessibility to the airport and other changes that are happening to Salida, right? And, and partly due to Malaysia uh, as well, in actual fact. So one of the ILS approaches into Selatar um, comes over an area of Malaysia that the local government wants to develop with high-rise buildings. And I think that's causing some friction um, around the Selatar area. Yes, but I think also one of the things that impacting Salida now is also there's they're more being more restrictive on the operational hours of the airport as well but still a key market in the asia pacific region not a lot of operators uh, basing themselves out of out of singapore most of them are probably have significant fleets elsewhere in the region uh, the big ones in in singapore being executjet acam acam uh, those being the two big ones biggest grower in the region though as we mentioned earlier though being being ojets where they are are adding back you will maybe some of those at least model types that were now not in the region because of the, the zeta jet uh, collapse if you will so and from the registration point of view singapore's quite intriguing isn't it because there are no business jets registered on the local 9b dash register um this, i mean this partly could could be one of the reasons why um bombardier has always been uh, very successful in southeast asia especially singapore is that singapore airlines of course did have uh, a whole bunch of lear jets uh, flight training program. Although I think that's right, yeah, I think. And thirty uh, ones as well. I think they had a uh, at one point. I think I think they were based down in Perth, Perth though, weren't they? Down in yeah, they're based based down in or Adelaide, certainly down in Australia. So, but again, if you if you if you look at Malaysia and Singapore, uh, predominantly 
and registration using U.S. registrations in both. So a lot of uh, ownership trusts being used. Yeah, yeah. But Singapore is quite a safe country, though, isn't it? It's, um, it's politically very stable. Um, yeah. Next one, one of my favorites, just because it's, it's so different. Uh, the Philippines, uh, number three on the list, fleet of 51 airplanes. But just when you look at the, the dominant OEM and you look at the dominant size category and even the registration, it's just they just they just go in a different direction entirely. Uh, Textron, light jets and Philippines registered. Absolutely. So my notes uh, I've got in front of me, I scribbled some notes just before we started this call. Um, what I've done is for most countries, I've sort of I've written down um, the sort of categorization by different aircraft size types to see what's the biggest. And for the Philippines, I've written light by a very long way. Yeah. Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> but I think that also goes back to, I mean, uh, most of the utilization is, is domestic. Uh, there are a few long range airplanes, large cabin airplanes, but they are, they are, as you said, there are few and far between with the size category being being extremely well dominated by the light jet category and therefore by by Textron it's it's one of the best markets in the Asia Pacific region for Textron both with uh, with the Cessna product line and and also with the old Hawker line as well it's one of the things that surprised me actually whilst we were doing this is my impression of the Philippine fleet is that overall it was quite old um, but in actual fact, the, the average age of the aircraft in the Philippines is coming down quite significant, significantly, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and partly because we are seeing, um, you know, if I probably look at where the, the, the aircraft are being added, uh, some of those are, are certainly newer models. You're seeing latitudes and sovereigns, if you will. And so that is effectively, if you will, bringing down the age of that fleet. It actually, so all, out of all the five countries we're looking at today, it is actually the country that took the most new aircraft um, during 2019, three new aircraft, all of them, like you say, from Textron. An interesting market for me also because they are trying to, Manila is so important to the business aviation uh, environment uh, operations in, in the Philippines. Uh, they are trying to, if you will, diversify away from that to Clark, and, and Subic with, uh, I guess, yet to be seen whether or not that will be successful or not. But again, interesting when we just talked previously about Subang and Salita, a lot of investment on the MRO side and FBO side going on in the Philippines as well and in Clark and in Subic Bay too. Absolutely. So the problem with um, Subic Bay and Clark is that they're so far away from downtown Manila. Um, the, the main international airport uh, is just 15 minutes away by car from uh, Makati. Um, that's notwithstanding the notorious Manila traffic. And it is notorious, yes. But we have got significant investments going on, uh, certainly up in Clark, uh, Hong Kong-based Metrojet is in the process of installing or finishing up a big new hangar there. And then in, in Subic, uh, ACTSI has got themselves set up there and have just finished, I think, probably the, the first stage of many stages in renovating that facility and making it available uh, for MRO and FBO services as well. So again, investment going on. I've always, I always wonder how much business they're going to get. Uh, I think they're counting on some, some overflow coming from, say, the greater China, or specifically more the Hong Kong market. As we know, 
as we, and we talked about previously, Hong Kong has its parking issues and has its, its slot issues. And I think part of that is hoping to bring business to the Philippines and to the facilities in Clark and Subic. Uh, I guess time will tell and see whether or not that actually happens. Do you know how far away it is uh, by flight time from Hong Kong? Uh, it's certainly an hour, at least. For a parking issue, maybe it, it makes sense, but the issue in Hong Kong is also very much driven by slots. So, you know, if you go and park over in the Philippines, it's fine, but you're still going to have to bring the aircraft back, which still means getting a slot. So I don't know how that necessarily solves the problem. So, again, time will tell. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the, in the Philippines market. It's a fascinating market, definitely. Indonesia, uh, I, 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 the note I wrote to myself when I, when I was reading through the country profile again was, is there anything positive to say about Indonesia? <laughs> and again, I just, it was just referring to it is, uh, it's a tough, tough, tough environment to be operating at the moment. I, I think the, the, the positive thing is that in percentage terms in Southeast Asia, it grew by the most in 2019. Yes, yes that despite all the things that it may have going against us, against it, and, and some of those are certainly... Um, the rule, the red tape and regulations uh, that you have to get through in Indonesia, and that's everything from uh, not being able to have a mortgage on the aircraft to uh, cabotage rules to, like I said, operating domestically and, and internationally in and out of uh, in and out of Indonesia. Uh, all kinds of challenges to do that. But as you just said, despite all that, it had one of the highest growth rates. It's it's still happening there, despite yeah. all that. And, and so part of that reason is that locally registered domestic aircraft flying around. Um, one I'd say it's fairly evenly split between large and large cabin aircraft and, and light cabins. Um, just I think the point about the Indonesia is that it's it's just so spread out. There are so many different islands around uh, Indonesia as well. The other thing that I I love about the Indonesian market it it must be the biggest market in all of Asia for Embraer. Uh, it's just, it's fascinating that the Legacy 600 has literally ca carved out this market for themselves. And it's the, it's the aircraft of choice. Uh, they keep, I mean, it's, they continue to add more airplanes. I think every year it seems to be more going into the region, Legacy 600s. Uh, so it really is a, it's sort of this uh, shining light for Embraer in the Asia Pacific region. Why do you think that is there? Why do you think Indonesia has fallen in love with Embraer aircraft? I think they've they've embraced, if you will, the 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 model so much for for Embraer in that you're getting a big cabin airplane at a at a very very attractive price. I don't think they they need the ultra long range, as we can see from the size categories. Uh, they are looking just for an aircraft, as you said earlier, to to get around in a very very spread out country. Uh, so the big cabin and the economics and the purchase price, I mean, it just, it just seems to be a real sweet spot uh, for the Indonesians as far as meeting their requirements for an aircraft. So it's done very well there. Done, done very, very well. Operators, really only one. <laughs> Premier, uh, they being the dominant operator in the region with, with 12 airplanes. Uh, everything else being a really a kind of onesies and twosies, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Just... Uh, smaller operators, one or two aircraft. Little little infrastructure to speak of as well. Uh, for a country that's all spread out, there are a couple of FBOs, and really that's just Jakarta and, and Bali. Yeah, and I guess that's really um, part of the problem is, because you were presuming that with all these fantastic islands that they have, uh, that people would be wanting to, to visit them, but presumably that's a byproduct of, of how hard it is to actually operate a business jet in, internally. Yes, and uh, as you 
as you kind of alluded to, a lot of these destinations are, are small archipelagos of islands that you're, you're using a seaplane to access, if, if, if anything, or, or getting there by boat. So not a lot of uh, opportunities necessarily to get in there, even with a business jet at the end of the day anyways. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's quite a big market for the Cessna 208, as far as I remember. Last but not least, if you will, Thailand, uh, bringing up the list of five, a uh, fleet of 35 airplanes. Uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, it is, uh, it's a country that did not perform very well through 2019. Any, any, any thoughts on why that was? Uh, not, not in particular, actually. I was, gonna, I was interested to ask you that question, um, but you're asking why they dropped. Uh, five aircraft during the year for a 12.5% decline. Why, why do you think those aircraft are leaving? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's nothing more than uh, economics, frankly. Um, I think uh, the country has had its challenges as far as, uh, as growth, and that always uh, shakes confidence. And when confidence goes, it's not, it's not too long that you see airplanes starting to go as well. So I likewise couldn't put... Uh, my finger on necessarily a, a definitive reason why, but I think it's just it's just overall macroeconomics. So do you, do you see that kind of bouncing back? I do. I, I, I do see it bouncing back. But we've got a lot of things that are influencing right now whether we see that bounce back. Um, obviously, uh, as the region continues to deal with a potential China-U.S. relations and COVID-19, when, when that bounce back comes, uh, is anyone's guess really at this point in time. Interesting market though at the end of the day, seems to be equally split, sorry, equally split, split between the Textron and Gulfstream, where you've got a long range requirement and then you have sort of a medium sized aircraft requirement as well. And, and in some senses, it's, it's sort of similar to, I guess, Malaysia as well, because there's a lot of, quite a lot of domestic flying goes on in Malaysia as well too. Um, well, outside Peninsula, Malaysia to Sarawak, and then the islands up in the north of sort of Langkawi and, and Penang. <clears throat> but in Thailand, of course, there are lots of different islands uh, to go to as well. So on the Gulf Stream side, which is the long range, you're, you're seeing uh, at the top end of the market, you're seeing a good good number of uh, G650s and, and 550s. And then at the medium size from the Textron fleet, you're still seeing uh, some older airplanes, some some Hawkers. But then also some small citations and, and even Mustangs in the, in the market there. So, regarding operators in the region, uh, just uh, you know, really just two two of the two of the bigger ones being uh, MJets and the government of Thailand. Uh, otherwise, again, getting down into small small operators that you know one or two airplanes. So the big ones just being MJets and the government of Thailand. Absolutely, and you know, for such a small uh, country, the government of Thailand operates quite a large fleet of uh, business jets. And a large fleet of business jets uh, that are quite big as well. <laughs> so, including the largest one is, of course, an A340, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where should, we should go with that. But yeah, you've got uh, an A310, an A340. Uh, you've got an ACJ319, uh, BBJ2, and even a, an, an, even a 737. So yes, uh, certainly the government of Thailand is operating a, a fairly large fleet, and they're, they're all big babies too. So. Uh, an interesting mix because on the other end the other operator that's big being mjets uh has you know a nice mix of aircraft that you would expect from they're they're a big charter provider in the region and so you've got sort of a an aircraft of every size just to meet the the varying requirements of what a charter charter clients may need so and that that is a good healthy mix of different aircraft types though for different mission profiles as well so, yeah, very good. 
So that's it. That's the that's the Southeast Asia market. Uh, the five countries that we that we talked about. Uh, the the country profiles you can you can get them, uh, download them from www.asianskymedia.com. Please uh, visit the website. Uh, there are other country profiles uh, that we haven't mentioned at this point in time. We've we covered in our first podcast. We covered uh, Northern Asia, uh, so that was Japan, Korea, Greater China, and now we've covered Southeast Asia. The rest, I think, we'll have to leave to the individual participants who, if they're, they've got the interest, please go online and take a look at those country profiles. So I'd like to thank you, Alud, as always, for for sitting in early in the morning in the UK, and always for your comments. It was much appreciated. So thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining us this week on Asian Skycast. Make sure to visit our website, Asian Sky Media, where you can subscribe to the show on your phone or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show.